Uh, anyways, my name is Jeff Baker. I have the, I have the privilege of being the, uh, the lead pastor here at New Life. You're sitting in one church that has multiple locations. Right now, there is a, um, a venue that meets in our gym that's packed full of people. Last week, there was about 186 people that were down there while you were here in this place worshiping together one God. Soon on September 21st, we're actually going to be one church in multiple locations, including our location that will meet at 1045 uh, in North Platte as well. And so we're just going to continue to follow God and continue to reach people. So please know that in this auditorium is not the entire body of New Life. There was a whole other group that was meeting here at 9, and uh, there's other people that are meeting other places. So I want to say hello to all of those that are watching us and worshiping with us in other venues. Hey, today we're going to wrap up our current teaching series called Elephant in the Room. We're going to be focusing on other religions. So as we dive into that, uh, what I want to do very quickly is I just want to kind of discuss with you some things that have happened in my personal life and uh, just kind of look at, look at some stuff, some experiences that I've had and tie this whole thing together as we, as we dive into these other religions. Have you ever been in a place where you wanted to purchase something, but you weren't quite sure if it was the real deal? Like the deal seemed too good to be true. Ever been in one of those situations? I was uh, a number of years ago down in Mexico, and as I was in Mexico on a missions trip, I, I came across this vendor, and this vendor was like, sir, sir, come over here. I, I've got the right thing for you. He's like, I got a Rolex for you. I got a Rolex for you. It's awesome. It's only $55 for the Rolex. I'm like, whoa, man, a Rolex for 55 bucks. This is amazing. This is going to be really cool. I'm, I'm going to, my dad's going to love this, right? Until I looked really closely at the watch, and Rolex was printed upside down on the watch. That's a problem. Just a little bit of a problem. All right. Or another time I was in Romania and I was, uh, I was walking through the market area and this person was like, sir, sir, I have a great gift for your wife. It's a Gucci bag. It's a Gucci bag. I'm like, I don't even know who Gucci is, right? Who is Gucci? But I've heard my wife mention it enough. And I was like, he was like, yeah, the bag's like $45. I'm like, whoa, man, my wife's told me those things could be hundreds and thousands of dollars. This is awesome. You know, is this supposed to have one C or two C's? Oh, okay. So one C in Gucci doesn't really cut the mustard, evidently. And so I didn't buy that bag, thankfully, because that would not have been a good gift for my wife. I was, in, I was in Peru one time on a missions trip. I'm walking through the market, and uh, this guy's yelling out, Sir, sir, it's a bright, sunny day. Sir, Oakley's, Oakley sunglasses, $25. And I've heard my son say to me, Dad, you'd be super cool, man, if you had some Oakley sunglasses. I go, well, son, you know, maybe you should buy me some. He's like, you're crazy. Those are like two, 300 bucks. I go, well, that's why I don't need them, because I'll sit on them, break them, leave them someplace. But now I'm hearing Oakley sunglasses for $25. This is this is perfect, right? I mean, who would lie to me? I'm in Peru, right? Who would try to trick me? You know a deal is too good to be true, right? When it's way less than what it ought to be, and especially when it comes and it finds you. All three of those things, way less than what they ought to be, and they all came and they found me. So the next time some guy comes walking up to your door, knocking on your door, going, hey, I've got, I've got gold bars, gold bars, 10 cents on the dollar. Just know, somewhere underneath that layer of gold is probably a lot of lead, right? So it's, it's one thing when you find something that is fake, right? When you find something that's fake, like a purse or a bag or, um, you know, a shirt or electronics or sunglasses, it's one thing if you find something fake like that. It's a whole nother thing if your religion's fake. You can buy a fake bag or watch, even the Rolex with the upside down 
That's one thing. But if your religion is fake, now you're talking about eternity. Eternity at mine. And today we want to discuss other religions. We, want to, we don't want to discuss necessarily what they believe as much as I want to help you understand what they believe so that you can see what truth really is today. Today we're going to pull back the veil to the best of our ability. We want to look at some of the top world religions and we want to compare those to Christianity. And today I really want to help you as people that call yourselves to be Christians or are seekers of Christ and you're people that are new life folks. I want to help you know what the counterfeit looks like. I want to help you know what it means to remain in the truth of Jesus. That's what every good pastor wants for his flock. He wants to help you, you know, know the truth of Jesus and remain in it. Because we live in a world where truth is being shaken at the core. And the Apostle Paul knew this as well as he was planting churches around this large region, um, now known as Turkey. As he's planting a lot of these churches, he's finding that people are starting to drift from the truth, just like I'm discovering today in 2014. People are drifting from the truth. So why don't you look at what Paul has to say when he was speaking to the church in Galatia. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, he says, I'm shocked, guys, that you're turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. Listen to what else he says. He says, you are following a different way that pretends to be the good news. It pretends to be, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately, look what they're doing, twist, right? They deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. You ever heard anyone trying to twist the truth of Christ? There's a lot of people that call themselves Christians who are trying to twist the truth of Christ to try to make Christianity more palatable to their own lifestyle. Christianity isn't what you, you make comfortable for you It's how you submit and find your place in relationship with God. It's not about bringing God down to your level. It's not about taking this holy book called the Bible and deciding that you're going to take these scriptures, but you're going to leave these other pieces out. But there's a lot of that that's going on in our day and age, not to mention other religions that are out there. I'm going to tell you right now, in the world that we live in, your faith is going to be challenged. And it's not just going to be challenged by difficult scenarios that you go through. It's going to be challenged by others that are going to question, do you really know the real Jesus? How do you know the real Jesus? Can you defend your own faith? If the weight of Christianity today rested on your shoulders and the whole world, all the cameras of the world were presented right on you and the question was asked to you, who is the real Jesus and how can you prove it? What would you say? Or if all the cameras of the world were on you, and the question was presented to you, how, do, how is one saved in Christianity? Would you be able to drive that point home today? So today is maybe more of a college-level presentation, if you will, um, of Christianity. If you're a seeker in this room today and you're here and you're kind of going, I'm just trying to discover, is, is Jesus the real God? And it, it, should, I, should I submit my life to Jesus? You need to know today, today is the perfect day. You walk through the doors on the perfect day. Because the day I want to unfold and I want to lay out for you, who is Jesus really? And what does it really mean to be saved? And so to, so to start our journey into discovering what's this world look like and what are these religions out there, one of the things I want you to know is who's for you and who's against you. Who's for you and who's against you? See, Jesus was presented with this and he brought a pretty powerful teaching on this principle in Luke 
chapter 9, when his disciples, one of them being John, said to Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he isn't in our group. But Jesus said, basically, you got it all wrong. Don't stop him. Anyone who is not against you is for you. I mean, here's these disciples. They come to Jesus. You can just tell, these guys are all excited. They're like, Jesus, we defended you. You know, Jesus, we, we, this guy wasn't part of our group. He's not part of the 12. He's, he wasn't part of the 72. He wasn't a part of these other numbers of people that have followed you at any given moment up to this point. But Jesus, here's the deal. He's out there using your name and he's actually casting out demons. Jesus goes, he's not against us, guys. Anybody that's not against us is for us. Let me help illustrate what I'm talking about. Which of the two borders do we defend? Which of the two borders do we go to war over? National borders or state borders? National borders. National borders are what we go to war over. National wars, national borders are what we defend. All right? Now, we've had times in our American history where we've defended state lines, right? How did that go? Not well, right? Not, not well. And we don't ever want to go back to that kind of a point again. We, we battle to, and I, I'm not a proponent of war, but I'm just saying that we battle to protect our borders. In, in a Christian type of perspective, our borders that we would fight for, not physically fight for, but that we would stand up for and defend would be the borders of those who worship Jesus, the one true God as, de, as, de, as defined in the Bible and the Bible only. That defines Christianity in the most simplest terms. Christianity is the Bible and Christ in the Bible and the Bible only. That's what joins and links together Christ-centered followers around the world in multiple nations, in multiple countries. Yes, even some in the Middle East, some you know, in the Far East, some in all kinds of countries, all different backgrounds, multiple different languages. There is a lot of people that call themselves Christians as based on that particular principle. That would be our national borders. We would link arms with them and stand with them and defend the faith with them. Now, what about the state borders? What do those, those look like? The state borders really come down to Christianity in its denominations that are inside of this umbrella, this union of believers. And inside of this union of believers are people that worship Jesus differently than we do here at New Life. It sounds different. It looks different. Um, they, they might baptize slightly different than us. But in the end, they put Christ, the Christ of the Bible, first. And they put Jesus first. And those folks, we don't go to battle with them. We don't go to war against them. They're not our enemy. I mean, as long as another Christ-centered church shows and improves its actions by its words and its deeds, you'll know them by their fruit. You link arms with them and you go with them. They are part of your team. And if, look, if you're here at New Life and this is your home church, you know what part of our expectation is here for you as an individual? is that you would celebrate the victories that happen at other Christ-centered churches in our community. Let me just give a few examples. Celebrate the victories that happen, you know, when E-Free, you know, finally finds that lead pastor and they get, they get the pastor for their church after Mike Shields, you know, uh, resigned and he moved on. We would want to celebrate with them, right? That's what I want to do. 
I want to celebrate with the Baptist church when they have their next outreach and they communicate the love of Jesus and people are reached. Right? I want to celebrate with the Nazarene church. I want to celebrate with my friend Mitch Ivey over at Grace when they do the next big igloo event. Which, by the way, side note, Mitch, if you're watching, you know I gave you that name way back in the day. I told him, maximize it, man. It looks like an igloo. Run with it. It's been awesome. I want to celebrate with them the next time they do some kind of 4th of July thing. You know, I mean, the, the last time he did this 4th of July deal, I was watching his fireworks from my house. And it got past the time they were supposed to start, so I just sent him a text. I go, dude, when's the show going to happen? Come on, my family's waiting. And I heard his voice on the stage. And as soon as his voice was done, he texted me back. He goes, hang on, show's getting ready to start. I love that kind of friendship, you know, that I have with those guys. We want to celebrate with them. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. We're not in competition with each other. We're all part of building God's kingdom. These are not people that we go to war with. There's some other things that if you call yourself a new lifer that I would, I would highly uh, expect of you. And that is to never find you gossiping about another Christ-centered church in our community. Or, for that matter, another Christ-centered church in our nation. Or, let's go farther than that, another Christ-centered church on our planet. It's not your place. Number one, you don't know the whole story. Number two, we link arms with them. We don't go to battle against state lines. You stand up and you defend. You think the best of them. You shut down gossip right in its tracks. You know how you can do that? You can just walk away. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to respond the next time the bait's thrown out in front of you. That's what it means to protect our borders. Who's, whoever's not against you is for you. Look beyond your differences with each other and find ways to worship with one another. You know one of the ways you can worship together? September the 14th. September the 14th, there's at least three churches that I know of that are joining together for this step out and serve. All three of these churches are having a nine o'clock service and then they're hitting out and they're gonna, they're gonna hit the community um, here in Kearney. We're gonna go out to North Platte as well and we're just gonna blitz this community and let this community know we are one church with one mission to let the world know that Jesus is alive and that Jesus is the one true God. And so we're giving up our worship service to go serve together. It's called Step Out and Serve. If you haven't signed up for it, you need to get signed up. All right? Get signed up because it's one way that we can worship together. And that's a beautiful opportunity. We don't get a lot of opportunities like that. In fact, most of the time we worship together, we do it in the confines of one of our churches. This is a very unique moment where we're going to hit out on the streets and we're going to let the world know Jesus is alive. We believe it so much that you don't have to walk through our doors for us to show it to you. We're going to your doors. Get signed up. And participate in that. It's a great way to worship together. And never forget what Hebrews has to say. Hebrews chapter 12 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Read that last part with me. He's the what? The author and the perfecter of our faith. Our faith. Not just the faith of new life. Not just the faith of the American church. But the, the faith of Christ-centered churches, Christ-centered faith around the world. Yeah, we don't all look the same. We don't all sound the same. But if we trumpet the same message that Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible is Lord and King, Jesus says, I'm the author of that faith, and I am the perfecter of that faith. Amen? That's what he's wanting to do inside of your personal life as well. He's wanting to be the author and the perfecter. Are you allowing him to be that in your life today? Or have you decided somewhere along the journey, you grabbed a hold of the reins and you're going, I'm in control, I got this figured out. 
So the first thing for you today is, are you for Christ or against him? Is he becoming your author and the perfecter of your faith? That's, that's the first question. All right? But the real question when discerning who's with us and who's against us, you really have to look at who is Jesus. So if you want to know what the world religions, what they stand for and what their foundation is, you can, you can do that by not tiptoeing around the little minor issues. Get straight to the core and get the definition from them on who is Jesus. Now, there's three major religions of our world. Hinduism, Islam, and Christianity. Those are the three predominant religions on our planet today based on population and people that, you know, say I'm a part of something. But in America, we also wrestle with and we also run into others that call themselves uh, Jehovah's Witness or even Mormons. And so I want to look very quickly at what these guys say they believe when, it, when they define the question, who is Jesus? Let's, let's look at Hinduism first. Hinduism is a group of people about one billion followers strong right now. It's the third largest religion um, on the planet. Hinduism has a belief that it has no idea when it started, that it's just always been, it's always been around. So in some terms, they would claim to be the oldest religion on the earth today. That's just their claim. I'm not stating what fact is. I'm just telling you what they believe. They predominantly reside in the Indian subcontinent. Uh, when you ask them who is Jesus, they believe Jesus to be a wise man, very loosely though. They put little credence on Christ. They put little significance on Jesus. He's just a wise man. And if you follow up the question, who is Jesus, and you go a little bit farther and you say, what was his purpose? They would look at you with stars in their eyes and go, I'm not really sure what his purpose was other than the fact that he was a wise man. So then if you go a little farther and you say to them, well, did he, did he die on the cross for the sins of humanity? And did he rise again from the dead? They would go, all I know is this. He was a wise man. He lived and he breathed like me. All men die. Yes, Jesus died. Was he resurrected? No, but he probably came back as a really strong prince. He might even be a king of a country right now because he was a really good guy. Who is Jesus? Just another man. Happened to be probably wise. What about Islam? Islam's 1.6 billion people strong right now. It's the second largest religion on the planet. And arguably, it is the fastest growing religion around the world, including America. Although in America, there's a very small following. Um, you'll, you'll see that things are happening here in America, and you, you can kind of look forward to what will America be like. Just look a little bit ahead and look at someplace like a Great Britain and see what the significance is there and how strong Islam has grown, um, even in a place like Great Britain. So it is a fast-growing religion right now. When you ask them, who is Jesus, they would say Jesus was just a man, but that Jesus was a prophet of God. He was a prophet of God. He came to teach the ways of God or the ways of Allah in their, in their language. He came to do that. But you need to know something about Jesus. Jesus was superseded by another prophet. And that prophet was Muhammad. You go, okay, all right. So then what's the purpose of Jesus? Well, Jesus' purpose from a Muslim, a Muslim that really knows what Jesus' purpose was, they would say that Jesus was here to reveal God's will, right, in a progressive revelation that was superseded again or was picked up with or ended with Muhammad. 
That Jesus was just here giving a progressive revelation as one prophet would do, but yet Muhammad is greater, Muhammad is better, Muhammad is the one who finished it. It was all superseded by Muhammad. Okay, well that's his purpose then from Islam. Then did Jesus die on a cross for the sins of humanity and did Jesus rise again from the dead? And a lot of Muslims, this is a little bit of a controversy in Islam right now, but a lot of Muslims would tell you that no, Jesus didn't die on a cross. In fact, someone else took his place. Someone else took the place of Jesus. In fact, a lot of Muslims believe that Judas Iscariot, who went out and the Bible says hung himself after he you know, turned Jesus over, he's one who died on the cross. That Jesus didn't die. No, Jesus escaped. Jesus got away. And Jesus was taken up into heaven as a great prophet. And Jesus is in heaven. That's where, that's where they would say that Jesus is at. And they would look at Jesus and they would basically say, good prophet, didn't die for the sins of humanity, escaped that, is in heaven. Therefore, there's no resurrection. So who is Jesus? He's definitely not the same Jesus we're talking about. Although they might use the word Jesus in the Quran It is not the same Jesus. Although they might be historically talking about the same Jesus, they're not not from a Theo perspective, they're not from a God perspective talking about the same Jesus, nor is Allah the same God. What about Mormonism? Mormonism is just a mere 15 million people, predominantly here in America. Who would they say that Jesus is? Based on their own doctrine, they would say that Jesus is the elder brother of humanity, Lucifer being one of his brothers, that all of humanity are spirit beings that have been produced from celestial sex that God has had with his wife. That's where Jesus came, Lucifer came, and all of humanity came. And that's who Jesus is. Jesus is just a created being from celestial sex who was sent to this earth. And then you would say, well, what was the purpose of Jesus? Well, Jesus came to save humanity. But Jesus was picked. One day, God had to decide, am I going to send Jesus, this spirit being that I've created, or Lucifer, the spirit being that I've created? Which one am I going to send to be the savior of man? And God picked Jesus. That's according to theirs, their own doctrine. And therefore, that's why Satan got so ticked and so mad and decided that he was going to create his own following, and he went off and he did his own thing. So Jesus is just a spirit being that's created and sent to the earth for a mission from God. So then you go on and you would ask them, well, then Jesus, as a savior of the world, did he die on a cross and was he resurrected? And they would look you in the eye and they would say to you, Jesus died on a cross, and yes, Jesus was resurrected. So what's the difference between their Jesus and the Jesus of Christianity? I'm going to get to Christianity in just a minute. But the first thing you need to know very quickly is that they've devalued Jesus as a created being of God versus Jesus in Christianity is God. Jesus is just another created being sent to do a mission. That's a serious devaluation of Jesus. Not God, not perfect, not holy. Jesus is just sent. So then what about Christianity? Christianity has 2.2 billion followers. Jesus is fully God and was fully man when he was here on this earth. Take a look at what Colossians has to say. In 2 verse 9 it says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. In Christ lives all the fullness of God 
but yet in a human body. We believe that Jesus came as fully God, but came and was born as a baby to be fully man, to live on this earth, live a sinless life on this earth, to be a sacrificial lamb for the sins of humanity, to be a perfect sacrifice without flaw, without blemish, to give his life on the cross and to rise again from the dead to declare who God really is. So if you want to know who God is, all you have to do in Christianity is look at Jesus. If you want to know, if you want to see God, then you have to see Jesus. If you want to study God, then you would want to study Jesus. In Christianity, if you want to submit yourself to God, and, then you want to humble yourself and surrender yourself to Jesus. Jesus is God. In Christianity, Jesus is God's only son. There isn't any others. We're human. Jesus is God. John 3, 16, that God sent his only son into the world to save the world, that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. In Christianity, we believe that Jesus lived a sinless life. He did not sin. There wasn't any flaw found in him. Look at 1 Peter 3, 18. It says that Christ suffered for our sins once and for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. So in Christianity, not only do we believe that Jesus was sinless, but we also know for certain and you know, confident based on God's word that Jesus, by God's Spirit, was raised again from the dead. That Jesus isn't in a grave someplace. That he rose again. And he's not just some spirit being floating around in heaven somewhere. But the Bible says that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. He is God waiting for the day to come and get his church. You and me. Those who put their faith and their hope in Jesus. You know another thing that sets Christianity apart from other world religions is that Jesus is coming back. And there's a hope of spending eternity with him in heaven. These other religions I'm talking about here. There's a difference between those and Christianity. It's that there's a hope, there's a blessed hope, Jesus is coming back. We talked about that, I believe, in week two of the elephant in the room. Radical difference between who Jesus is. Big, big differences there. Don't be misled. Don't don't let someone come and trick you, talking to you about a different Jesus, based on Paul's language in Corinthians or in, in Galatians. Stand firm. Stand strong. Know who Jesus is. Jesus is the God of the Bible. He is fully God. And when he came, he was fully man. Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. What's the next thing you need to look at? You need to look at how are you saved. Salvation, in a layman's terms, basically, is the act of being set free from sin, right, to establish a life-transforming relationship with God. Being set free from your sins. How, in, in world religions, in these, these ones we're talking about, how are you set free from your sins? And how is your life transformed so that you can have a relationship with God? Well, in Hinduism, I referred to it a moment ago, there's reincarnation, right? So if you're really, really bad in this life, then you come back as a rat. Right, yeah, exactly. Basically, that's what they believe. Or you come back as a cockroach, or possibly you come back as, you know, I hope not, a dung beetle. Right? But you come back as something that is, that's really bad, right? Because you lived your life, you lived your life, I apologize for that. 
It was just, it was the worst thing I could think of coming back as, a dung beetle. But, um, so you, you come back, you come back as this really bad thing. But now if, if you live your life really good and you've, you've, you've done good karma to others, then you might come back as a prince or maybe a rich man, a business owner, as, or something, something of that nature. You have that opportunity. But reincarnation doesn't deal with your sin in the sight of a perfect God. In the sight of a creator who's holy and perfect, it doesn't deal with your sin. In fact, it doesn't even address the punishment of your sin when it comes to hell. Basically, what reincarnation does and what Hinduism says about, about how you're saved is it's man's in control. There is no God. Man decides. And if you screw it up this time, guess what? You get a chance. And the next time, if you, if you come back as a rat, guess what? If you're a really good rat, maybe you can come back as a dog and someone will love you. And then maybe after that, if you're really good, you can come back as a giraffe because everyone loves giraffes. Who would shoot a giraffe? And then after that, if you're really good, then maybe you can start back over as a human. All the control is put into the hands of man. How are you saved in Hinduism? Are you good or are you bad? Do you have good karma or bad karma? It's all in your hands. What does Islam believe? How are you saved in Islam? Well, the first thing you need to know about Islam is that they, they acknowledge sin. They acknowledge that there is a heaven. They also acknowledge that there is a punishment of hell. Salvation comes, though, by works. And you never, ever really know if you've done enough. Islam is totally based on a 50.1 percentile. If I get over 50 percent, 50.1, and judgment day comes, I'll spend eternity with God in heaven. But if I'm at 49.9 percent, I'm going to burn in hell. And there's some master checklist where Jeff Baker did two things good today, chick, chick, and he did three things bad today, chick, chick, chick. Oh, but next, tomorrow, he did three things good, and then he did two things bad. That all evens out. And then every day, somehow you would have to keep some master list where you literally write down good and bad. And if you could keep all of those and keep them just right, then when the day of judgment comes, you'll know where you stand. But that's impossible to do. So no true Muslim really knows, am I right before God or am I not? Now, take that, take that kind of theology, take that understanding, right? And now project that onto radical Islam. This extreme idea of what it means to be a Muslim. What is it really doing inside of them? What they're saying is, you know, if I line my entire life up with the Quran, which is not a message of peace, by the way. Don't get fooled. If I line my life up with this and I live to the extreme, then I'll know one thing for certain. I'll have a lot of check marks in the good side and not have to worry about the bad ones that I've done. If I live this radical life, even if I blow myself up, then somehow, some way, God will look at me and he'll say, you've done good because it's all Old Testament works-based mindset. If I do enough good, God will love me. God will like me. What an uncertainty to live your life with. You have to live your entire life not knowing if God will accept you or not accept you. So you're driven to this extreme radical side that spews, you know, anger, spews hate, spews all the things that you can read about in the Quran. What those guys are living, you can go and you can read. It's all there in black and white. There's a lot of ifs in Islam. If you do enough. There's a lot of rules. If you can follow the rules. Not a lot of hope. 
about Christianity? How are you saved in Christianity? Well, first off, God provided Jesus as the sacrifice for our sins. That's first. You need to know that. God provided Jesus. You didn't call him out of thin air. It's nothing that you did. It's everything that God did. God provided Jesus. The other thing that God did is God provided a clear and a certain way to get to him through Christ. Take a look at what John 14, 6 has to say. It says that Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. God makes it really clear in Christianity. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's it, period. There is no other way to get to God except through Jesus. Coming to Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, the Bible only, and worshiping him and saying, I know that you are God. I know that you are truth. I know that only life comes from you. And surrendering your life to him, that's it, period. But we also know in Christianity that we're saved, that in Christianity that eternal life, that salvation, that, you know, spend eternity with God, that only comes through Jesus because there's more scripture that deals with it. Look at what 1 John chapter 5 says. And this is what God has testified, that he's given us eternal life. And this life is in his, who? In his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. Christianity puts all of the emphasis on Jesus. It puts the entire backbone, the entire crux of the entire religion, its faith and its doctrine is on the backbone of who Jesus is and how one has relationship with God. And we're finding in this scripture that God's driving home the point, eternal life only comes through his son, no one else. So let me put a quick little mathematic equation on the board for you really fast. I want you to think about, I want you to think about this. Take a look at this thing. It says, faith in Jesus plus what equals eternal life? Now don't, don't answer it out loud. But faith in Jesus plus what? I mean, I'm, t- I'm talking like, search your heart. We talked about who Jesus is. We talked about, you know, uh, what salvation is. Faith in Jesus, what is the question mark? Faith in Jesus plus what is eternal life? And I would tell you this, the answer is, Nothing. Nothing. There's nothing that you can insert into that equation that's going to give you eternal life. Yeah, but what about if I'm good enough? No, that doesn't fit. What if I, what if I you know, read the entire Bible and memorize all of it? It doesn't fit. That kind of stuff doesn't impress God. It's faith in Jesus and Jesus alone that gives you eternal life. So what's your part? What's your role? What steps do you have to take? Well, let's look at that really quick. Look at Romans chapter 10 really fast with me. It says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him, Jesus, from the dead, you will be what? Wow, faith in Jesus. Believe in your heart, right? That's, that's powerful. That's, that's the first thing, believing in your heart. What does it mean to believe? Constantly believe. Constantly believe. Even when life gives its worst to you, constantly believe Jesus, you're my only hope. 
You're the, only, you're the only source of living. When I'm on the tip top of the mountain and I'm having the greatest success of my life, don't drift away from Jesus being your only hope. Remember, it doesn't matter how much money you have, how much fame you have on this planet, you'll never buy a ticket to heaven. Well, you can buy tickets to all kinds of things if you've got enough resources, but you never buy one to heaven. The only way you and me are spending eternity with God is by believing Constantly believing that Jesus is Lord and confessing with your mouth, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Isn't that what it says? For it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it's by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. That's our role. I know you got a lot of thoughts maybe rolling around your mind like, well, I thought it was about being good. No, it's not about being good. Oh, trust me, it's about lining your life up with God's word. In the end, that's gonna, you're going to be good. But it's not about just being good. It's about believing in your heart. It's not even about being at church right now. You, you, you should want to be here if Christ is living in your heart, but you need to know God's not looking at you at, at church right now uh, in some kind of an Islamic concept going, mm, that's one good mark for you. Oh, but you went out of here and you, you flipped that person off because they pulled out in front of you in the church parking lot. I saw you the other day, by the way. Just joking. That's one bad mark. You held it a little too long. Two bad marks. So now you got to go try to figure out how to make it up. See, it's not about those things. It's about believing in God, and constantly believing, and allowing that belief to consume you, to consume your attitude, and allow that confessing of Christ to consume your mind, and allow that, that believing in God to consume your actions, and allow that believing in God to ooze out of you, and let it be sweet even to others. But that's not where it ends. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says this, that God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. So none of us can boast about it. See, it's passages like this that drive home the fact that it's only by God's grace. That's why God sent Jesus. That's why God provides grace. It's why in Mormonism... Salvation comes by repentance, but then if you repent of cussing one day, and then three days later you cuss again, guess what happens to your old sin that you repented of? It goes right back into the bucket, and now all of your old sin now rests on your shoulders again. But in Christianity, you, can, you repent of that, you come before God, and you say, God, that's not me. That's not the man you want me to be. That's not the man I even want to be. God goes, good, there's grace for that. You're putting your hope in me? There's grace. I cover that sin. And the Bible says that God cast that sin as far away as the east is from the west, never to remember it again. But three days later, you fall flat on your face again. And you get back up and you look back to God and you say, God, you know that's not the man I want to be. I want to be a man that honors you. I want to be a man that my mouth, it speaks to things that glorify you. God goes, good, there's grace for that. Let's keep on running. But like Paul said, just because there's grace doesn't give you the license. 
or the desire or the, the, it shouldn't give you the want to continue sinning. Grace should humble you and remind you that you are insufficient in yourself. You're in need of a constant Savior called God through Christ who provided grace for you that every time you stumble and you fall, you can get back up and keep running after him. That's what sets Christianity apart. Grace. I know. Grace is a hard topic to grab because we don't provide grace for each other. We're, we're, not, we're not like God. Someone hurts us, we hold it against them. We can't, re, we can't forget it, see? You, you might forgive them, you might end up showing grace, but you, never, you can't forget the memory of the pain. And you have to keep wrestling with that. That's what makes you and me different from God. That's what makes you and me different from Jesus. He says, I forget it and remember it no more. If he doesn't do that, grace isn't sufficient because he continues to hold this sin over your head. And in the day of judgment, you don't know, are you good or are you bad? So are all the world's religions worshiping the same God? No, not even close. Not even between Christianity and Mormonism. I didn't even try to get into Jehovah's Witness. Or any other group that claims to have the right answer. We're not worshiping the same God. We are worshiping Jesus, the God of the Bible, the creator of all things. That was here before the earth even began. Who was part of speaking your life into existence. Who came and he gave his life for you on the cross. Jesus is the only salvation for mankind. Let me wrap up with this last scripture found in Acts. It says, only Jesus has the power to save. Is that what it says? Is that what it says? You're wrong. See this little thing? It reads completely different than the way I just read it to you. It says like this. Only Jesus has the power to save. See, if you leave out this little line with that dot right there, I know it's a little fuzzy. It changes everything. Only Jesus has the power to save. His name is the only one in all the world that can save anyone. Today, you need to know, only Jesus has the power to save you. Where are you at? Where is your faith at? Who have you put your hope in? Today, our worship teams are going to come in just a moment, and they're going to lead us in worship. And you got the opportunity today to worship the one true living God. The Jesus who can save you. The Jesus who can set you free. The Jesus who you can run to who is real. He's as real as the air you breathe. He's as real as the human that's standing next to you right now. He's as real as everything your sensory, you know, uh, sensory things are picking up right now. Jesus is real. He's here to deliver you. He's here to set you free. He's here to be your hope. He's not here to condemn you. He came to this world to save the world. He didn't come to this world to condemn the world. Put your hope in Jesus today. Put your full life in him today. And when our worship teams lead us in just a moment, give him everything. Abandon your heart to him. He is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. And if you run to him, you're going to discover what eternal life is. You're going to discover what real peace is like. You're going to discover what real joy is like. When you run to Jesus, you're going to discover what life is really all about. So would you stand with me and let's spend the next few moments worshiping our one true living God. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this great opportunity where we can gather together to worship your name. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity where you can proclaim your name.
Thank you for this opportunity that we get together. Um, we gather in the name of Jesus. And Lord, your word says we're two or more do that. Your presence is literally here with us. I thank you for that, God. But I thank you that you're still transforming lives. But I thank you that through, through the power of Christ that you're drawing people to yourself. That Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are a God of integrity. That what you said, you've done. That what you've done, you'll continue to fulfill its promise. Lord, you said you loved mankind. And that our sin separated us from you. And Jesus, you came and you gave your life for us. You're waiting to call your church back home again. In that time, every grace minute that goes by that you don't return is another grace moment to declare your glory, to declare that you are Lord, to declare how great you are, to declare that only you can save us. So Jesus, we run to you today. And in our worship, may we confess that you are Lord. In our worship, may you, may you hear the words from our heart come out of our mouths as we profess our belief in you. That's what you've called us to do. Believe and confess. And in this, in this room and in our venues at New Life, may we be a group of people that believe and confess that Jesus is Lord of Lords. He is King of Kings and he rules our life. In Jesus' name, let's worship him. Amen.